Every year around the world, millions of people are leaving their homes to seek security and a better life. While this is a difficult decision for any individual, migration has also a wider impact at the global scale. It affects societies economically, socially, culturally, and not the least, politically. This podcast investigates the consequences of migration for the Eurasian development. The series of talks leads up to our online Alexandri conference organized in October. My name is Katalin Mikroshi. Welcome aboard. This is our last podcast. Now it is time to take a look back to the past. Have you ever thought what kind of part has migration played in human history? How did the mobility of people contribute to societal development? What was the role of migrants in essential innovations or in economic and technological progress? Where would we be without migration? Migration has been perhaps the most vivid and most intensive between neighboring states. But sometimes the mobility of people was hindered by politics. I will talk with a fellow historian. Ira Yenis Izokangas has a groundbreaking project dealing with cross-border migration between Finland and the Soviet Union during and after the Stalinist era. What kind of impact this time had on these countries' interaction and on the migrants? Join me for this last conversation. Ira, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. You are a historian whose current project is dealing with a special kind of migration to the Soviet Union. Could you tell us more about this new research? I'm happy to be here and, and tell about our new project, uh, which is about Finns in Russia, 1917 until 1964. This is a, a research project which is funded by the Finnish government. It's a five years project and we have uh, four researchers and other people working here on this issue, which is to actually to explore the fates of Finnish citizens in the Soviet Union, uh, Union during this period. And the aim of this project is to create an interactive database and also to uh, do academic research and, and publish academic books and articles on this issue. But maybe not everyone here, our listeners, know who are the Finns in uh, Soviet Union and before that in uh, Russian Empire. And um, maybe I should tell a few words about these groups that uh, moved and lived there. So basically we have Finns who uh, moved to Russian Empire uh, when uh, Finland uh, was 
part of it as a Grand Duchy uh, of Finland. And most of these people moved to St. Petersburg, which was a huge uh, city back then, a cosmopolitan city, and of course offered a lot of different um, business and working opportunities to Finnish people. And before the revolution, there were approximately more than uh, 20, even 30,000 Finns who lived there. But after the revolution, uh, many of them uh, moved back to Finland. But then we had a civil war, both here in Finland and, and in uh, Soviet Russia. And during and after the civil war, uh, a lot of red Finns moved to Soviet Union. So they were political emigrants, while we got political emigrants from Soviet Russia. So we also sent our political emigrants to Soviet Russia. So there was a content, con, um, constant uh, flux of, of people going back and forth between the new border. And then we had this new group of Finns who emigrated to Soviet Union in 1930s due to the global recession. And this um, was the case of illegal immigration, mostly. And it's a very interesting part of Finnish history. And because this was illegal immigration, we don't have exact numbers of, of people who did this, who crossed the border illegally. But the, the estimation is uh, that there were at least more than 12,000, even as far as 18,000 people who, who crossed the border illegally in the early 1930s. Um, so these are the groups of Finns uh, who, who moved from Finland to Soviet Russia and Soviet Union. But of course, we have also a group of Finns who first emigrated to North America, to Canada and US, and from there to Soviet Union. So that is one more group of Finns <laughs> moving to, to Soviet Union. So we're talking about great number of people, but also we have Finns who were not uh, Finnish citizens, but were still Finns living in Russian Empire and Soviet Union. And this is the ingredients. Our project is not going to explore the fate of ingredients uh, per se, because there are a lot of other projects which do that. And also there's this question of nationality, citizenship, uh, that uh, is also important, both in, in, in our project and, and, and the other projects as well. So it's quite vast project and, and we will see how much we can do during these five years, <laughs> how well we can actually establish the, the fate of things, but at least we are very ambitious. <laughs> Thank you. This is really a fascinating project and, and will answer a lot of uh, questions, especially in the bilateral relations of Finland and Russia. But I would like to stick with 
this Soviet past that you mentioned and your project is also dealing with, interestingly, it is a, a kind of 50 years uh, that it covers and it ends in 60, 64. Yeah. This is a Khrushchevist era. Yeah. Okay. But uh, back to the Soviet past and especially in the, in the first period of your project, uh, and the, you mentioned the political reasons. Um, well, we often address migration from the point of view of push and pull forces, right? And we learned, as you also uh, explained, that during the interwar period, 20s and 30s, there was this wave of migration from the West, also in general, not only from Finland, from the West to the Soviet Union. You said this is political reasons, but there are these appeal of the communist experience as a full force. So how do you see these kind of you know, dreams and ideas uh, as a role or as a driving force in, in migration, especially in, in the Soviet Union's history? It's an interesting question. First of all, um, if we think about Finland and Russia, then Russia has been and an Soviet Union is a neighboring country, <laughs> so it's it's still there, whether it's Soviet Union or Russian Empire or nowadays Russian Federation. But of course, these states have very different ideology behind them, and this, of course, is one factor. You you mentioned pull and push forces, and I was thinking about that there are there has been quite many. Uh, factors that have allured people to cross the border. And if we're not talking about strictly economic or, or maybe political factors, then we can add, for example, such factors as uh, religion, uh, which is quite important in, in, in the case of Finland, because as, as many of you might know, the um, border between East and West, uh, between Catholicism and, and, and Orthodoxy was also uh, in the borders of Finland. And therefore, uh, borderlands, especially Karelia, has been the place, the place where, where this kind of ideological border has been. And people have moved uh, across the border in order to, to have... Uh, um, more peaceful environment to, to practice their religion or they have been pushed to other side of the border because of their faith and so on. But then again, we were talking about uh, borderlands. So it's also an everyday life of the borderlands. People in the borderlands have different respective I may say so towards the borders. So it's it's quite easier to cross the border because they have done that for centuries. This is the case for, for example, Karelians in Finland and Russia. But then of course the political emigration is important. And here you can see that it's not only during the 1920s and 30s, if you think about political emigration. Uh, from Russia, so you can think to Finland and from the Grand Duchy of Finland to other places in the West. So we can we can uh, say that it, it already started in the 19th century. 
So uh, the kind of political uh, repressions during the Tsarist regime uh, drove some people already to to other places, and and also in Finland, many people crossed the border for the political reasons and and went to. Uh, St. Petersburg and other places in order to conduct their political activism. I'm talking here, of course, about Finnish activism and also um, the uh, Communist Party or Social Democratic Party back then. So, so you have this politically driven emigration. But also um, in, in this case, it might not be Immigration in, in, in this sense that you actually uh, move to another country for a long time, for the rest of your life, but it's you live in, in, in one place and then you come back. And this is, I think, uh, something that at least in the case of 1920s and 30s is quite clear that the question is how much it was a permanent migration or whether it was Uh, crossing border and and living a while in, in in this particular country and then dreaming of coming back and there here you have this factor of ideology and political situation if if you're talking about role of dreams and ideals then you actually you have the case for example the political refugees from Finland in 1920s who did moved to Soviet Union because of their dreams of better life in the in the communist country. And uh, the same thing was uh, was also the case of the Finns coming from, from Canada and the United States. But uh, on the other hand, you might also ask, were there also other reasons? And here uh, I would say that uh, one of the push factors might have been the political situation in Finland and in 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 US for example where labor movement was in quite difficult uh, situation after the Finnish civil war and and the pressure the kind of political pressure that that the activists experienced in their homelands i think you you uh, mentioned a very important point that uh, we often relate to migration as It is. It is now. It is for good. But the migration is always a temporal phenomenon that only a historian can understand. That people are coming and going, and this is a kind of way how how societies, in a sense, also develop. But I would like to go back for just for a moment about how hopes can make a difference in migration. Now. Over the last hundred years, at least in Russia and also in Eastern Europe, there are great political changes. Political systems uh, disappear. And uh, these generally affect people's sense of everyday security. Now, what is a strong enough change that pushes people to leave their homeland? So, for example, the communist system collapsed dramatically and relatively fast in late 1980s, early 1990s, and uh, chaos, an absolute chaos followed. And yet there was no big wave of migration, escaping this kind of huge 
societal change. In contrast, when we look at the Bolshevik revolution, there are a huge amount of people on the run. So how do you see this link between um, transforming statehood, a new state building project and migration? And of mm. course, you just mentioned that the, the Soviet experience was in a sense a magnetic phenomenon for so many Western sympathizers. But what kind of state transformation is what pushes people to mm. migrate? This is a very good question. I think that one of the reasons, at least based on our uh, studies uh, that we have done here, and especially what we have done here is that we have read the letters to home <laughs> uh, that the migrants have sent. And based on this, I would say that a lot of is about faith in the future. And this is, I think, it's linked with this situation, for example, that you mentioned in the end of 80s and 90s, when the communist system collapsed. You have the uh, situation where, where the future is unknown or uncertain or it doesn't seem attractive. And, and in the similar case, if you think about um, early and 1970, 1980, 1919, Finland, for example, you have uh, the situation where, where, where if, if, if your um, political and, and social activism creates a threat towards your future in a sense that sort of um, prevents you to get a job, creates a stigma for your children, uh, and it kind of worse the future for you, then, of course, the leaving the country is, is more an option. And, and in a similar case, uh, 1930s, early 1930s for, for the Finns, it was the kind of creation because the development sort of political de development continued and sort of escalated in the situation of economic crisis. So that is uh, one uh, very important factor for this. But I also would add that in many cases of when the state collapses or you have this kind of systemic crisis, you might have the situation where uh, you have where um, um, political, ethnic, religious groups are pressed into this situation where, where they are forced to leave, in a way. <laughs> so um, I think that these uh, situations, these uncertain political and economic situations, extreme situations, are very bad for marginal groups. Yes, uh, interestingly, uh, in a in a in this kind of transformations, the question is that where you anchor your hopes to, mm. the, to the homeland or somewhere else in the Avalon, yeah. <laughs> outside of the country. So it was a, once again a very good point. Yeah, I actually yeah. might add one more thing. Yes, please. So the question is also then where to move. So if you mm. press to leave the country. 
then the question of course is, is where to move. And here I would kind of add uh, the importance of, of the existing migrant communities in other countries and, and their experiences. So in the case of, of let's say red fins and the situation 1930 was that actually the letters to home play a very important role here because they are describing what the life is in other places where the future might be. Mm. Just jumping to a, a close enough topic about statehood and migration, which is linked also in another way. The one striking feature is that uh, the communist regime made rather clear that migration from the east to the west was strictly forbidden. People were even killed trying to leave. On the other hand, during the Stalinist era, which is also you, you cover in your project, people was moved from one place to another of a far away from their home within the Soviet Union, now I say. So what do you think? How does national identity change while people are forced to move? Yeah, it's uh, also a very good question. And uh, what I can say is also is based to these uh, letters to home, because in some ways they reveal uh, people's thoughts about their uh, situation and, and also identity. And now I'm talking especially uh, about the Finns, uh, the situation of Finns who moved there in 1930s, is that maybe, well, there are of course different contexts. And in 1930s, you have uh, Stalin's Russia. And in the case of 1930s, it's, it's an illegal immigration, let's people to gulag system so you have the gulag context and and this creates a very interesting situation where ethnicity and nationalism or ethnicity let's say not nationalism but it, ethnicity plays a role so in in the case of uh, 1930s illegal immigrants it was the actual crime that they did which was the illegal uh, border crossing but um, in, in, in those places where they were sent, they also met people who were sent there because of their ethnicity. And, and maybe I think you were also referring to this. So the question of ethnicity in the Gulag is, is very interesting. And, and there is an interesting project on, on this as well. But the, the fact that they were exiled in, in big groups sort of protected also their ethnicity because they did not know Russian language. They, they, they had their own sort of immigrant community, if you, you, you could say so. And, and that sort of, and, and also understanding that belonging to this certain group of national or ethnic group was uh, maybe one of the reasons why their fate was as it was was one kind of side of this coin. But on the other side, there was also this idea that Kulag sort of mixed the nations and ethnic groups 
and and in despite of their background they were in a similar situation so there's no sort of one answer to this but then if you think about your question then um there's also this question about uh Finns and karelians which is quite well studied so there you have political refugees coming from Finland in 1920s and and you have the local kind of local Finns local Karelians and th- their understanding of their ethnic identity and national identity and and how uh, the administration and everything should be organized in in this local place is quite interesting so i think that Sometimes ethnicity plays, nationalism plays great role, <laughs> but sometimes it's it's not that obvious. Maybe uh, I recall that Stalin also moved, for example, ethnic Russians after the Second World War mm. to to ensure political control in some republics, like in in the Baltic states or in Moldova. So in a sense. Uh, a great Russian nationalism was also a useful uh, political means, uh, obviously, in this uh, Stalinist uh, state-building project. So, uh, I think it is interesting, the different layers of nationalism mixing in, in, this, uh, in this time of Russian history, which is interesting exactly because uh, you, would, you would think that... Uh, when nationalism clashes, it would undermine the system. But nevertheless, against the odds, it it maintains for so many decades. So how would you <laughs> explain this? Hmm. Well, nationalism in, in, in the border countries, not, not in the border countries, but border states, <laughs> uh, is quite interesting question because if you think about Soviet history then there are moments when when nationalism has sort of become a bigger issue and then uh, like in in 1920s but also in 1950s for example like in in Georgia or 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 in the Baltic states as well so it wasn't kind of very easy process and it wasn't like that once they uh Soviet regime was established in those places that that the kind of uh, nationalism ceased to exist. So it was, uh, I think, it was still prevailed in 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 many ways. Um, I'm not na- expert on nationalism in per se, but but um, the project that we had on on Georgia nationalism after Stalin creates for me uh, an understanding that especially in 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 the late socialism well let's say uh, situation after Stalin's death big role in this question uh, played youth and uh, youth is also something that links uh, our discussion to to future and hopes for the future. And in in this case, it means also possibilities for to get uh, education, for mobility within the Soviet empire. Uh, Well, now I'm talking about Soviet empire, but let's say Soviet Union and um, also 
the kind of idea that that what the state could offer them. And here I also would uh, like to uh, that an interesting factor, I think, is the immigrant communities in other places. So if you if you think about Baltic states, so you have Estonian, Latvian, Lithuanian diaspora in 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 US as well as uh, Armenians, for example, in US and and in France and 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 so on. So um, when the world starts to open, it also uh, creates this communication between these diaspora uh, communities with these uh, Soviet states, for example, which is, again, I'm not expert on nationalism, so I can't say how how great role they they played. But, but this, I think, when we're talking about uh, migration and and in the Soviet context. So um, uh, it is important also to remember the kind of the homelands and diasporas and, and the kind of relationship and communication uh, with these groups. Okay. And now, thank you, but I have one final question. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a tough one, I know. <laughs> uh, if you look back at the, the last century uh, of, of, this, of, of the Soviet or Russian history, and you look at migration, you know, generally, by and large, and look at Russia today, how would you compare this to the history and the, the contemporary Russian migration? What is mm. the link? Is that link? What, what, what are the consequences of, of the Soviet times today? So this is a very tough <laughs> question. <laughs> I can only say based on, on the studies that I've been involved with, and it's maybe it's 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 easier to say what features are common, what features sort of prevail, and I think the most important sort of tradition is the tradition of political immigration, whatever the reason, whatever the political stance is, but that is something that has uh, been there for let's say even before the October Revolution. <laughs> so uh, that is one thing. But then if we think about who are the people who emigrate, students, politicians, entrepreneurs, uh, members of national, ethnic, and other minorities, that is too. But then thinking about this, then one might ask, are there really uh, specifically Russian traits? <laughs> so that is something that many countries uh, share. So yeah, these are maybe things that come to my mind uh, with your very, very difficult <laughs> question. <laughs> Thank you. I know that you, you could tackle this. <laughs> and it was a, a, an important lesson, actually, that I have learned from this conversation. Thank you very much, Ira, for participating in this. It was a great pleasure to talk. And, and 
I'm really anxious to attend the conference and, and discuss more about uh, migration because it's a very important part of our project. Mm -hmm.